0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Jeff Hicks. Jeff is the CEO of Fernleaf Interactive, a company founded on the vision that data can maximize the effectiveness of climate adaptation. In addition to being a technical lead for the U.S. Climate Resilience Toolkit, Jeff leads a growing practice specializing in quantitative and solutions-oriented climate resilience assessments throughout the southeastern United States. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. I'm delighted to have you here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's is a real pleasure.
0: So what inspired you to start this company? It was, uh, I think, five or six years ago. Um, what What led you to even go down this road because you you had been I think a consultant before, and now you've you're growing a much larger company
1: That's a great question i I think I mean you know to, to think about where the the journey began um, I have two to, both of my parents are really entrepreneurial they've they've had their own uh, small businesses. My mom had a uh, a variety of <laughs> things that she did. Um, including catering and a coffee shop and a gift basket shop and uh, bed and breakfast. Um, uh, And my dad uh, ran a a small legal practice in a small, uh, small town for years. Um, You know, when I graduated college, it was right into the throes of the great recession, Mm -hmm. um, which I think, you know, (laughs) there's some parallels between what we're seeing now and and that. Um, And I think uh, in, in a lot of cases, You know, graduating at that time in Asheville, I went to UNC Asheville, um, which has been notoriously a a bring your own job town um, in a bring your own job time. Uh, I think a lot of us had to get very creative. Um, I was very fortunate to turn an internship uh, at a research center called NEMAC, uh, National Environmental Modeling and Analysis Center at Mm -hmm. uh, UNC Asheville, into full time employment. Um, In in a lot of cases, we were seeing some of the limits of what the research center could do, um, the types of projects they could do, the ability to productize. um, And and really, uh, about six years ago, uh, there was an opportunity, President Obama had announced his Climate Action Plan, um, which helped to create the U.S. Climate Resilience Toolkit. Uh, which the White House tapped the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, who in turn tapped NEMAC to help develop that, who in turn uh, turned to me, I was, I was doing a stint in the private sector. Um, they turned to me and said, well, we don't have enough capacity to do this. And one of the challenges in their structure was that they uh, couldn't grow uh, by sort of uh, state mandate. It takes an act of the state legislature almost to create a new position. Um, so we had been talking for years about creating a private sector counterpart of the research center. Um, and things were just sort of aligning at that point uh, to uh, sort of jump on that. Uh, I was willing to be the one to sort of jump out there and take some risk. We don't have kids and um, we're very fortunate to, to sort of have uh, got a very supporting uh, spouse uh, who was willing to help share some of that risk. And uh, things just sort of aligned and, and we went for it.
0: Mm, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm really intrigued by that history because my, my background, which I was sharing with you before the interview, is that it uh, was in healthcare and in pharmaceutical industry for, some, mm-hmm. for a few years. And that interface between a university organization or uh, ability to develop uh, product or capability is always interfacing with, uh, with how to, how to bring it into the private sector or involve the private sector in some way. And there were a lot of challenges
1: early on in that process. Sure, yeah. and, and, and that was something, you know, th- that pathway of commercializing pharmaceutical research. I mean, as we were looking at how we would uh, establish patterns for commercializing university, uh, you know, IP and um, their processes, that was typically a, a go-by, but, you know, there there are some, some big differences, obviously, between what we do and sort of the pharmaceutical thesis and um, the other uh, sort of interesting um, ingredient to the overall soup here is that uh, UNC Asheville is, uh, you know, the, the University of North Carolina system, uh, they're... Public liberal liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as as not an R one university, um, we had to sort of all learn together how to how to do it. Um, I, I <laughs> you know, in retrospect, if um, I, you know, creating a, a, a new business uh, in partnership with a, a university that uh, it, it hasn't done that kind of thing very often, right? Um, and in a uh, space that is <laughs> Sort of a nascent industry, I think. Uh, for folks who are out there wanting to start uh, their entrepreneurial journey, I would recommend uh, starting with something maybe a little more straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> well, any
0: partnership has its complexities, and I uh, I wonder how do you navigate those challenges? In addition to that, public-private kind of uh, sure. I mean, there can be a friction in there in that. In sure. addition to the usual partnership issues
1: of course I mean I, I, you know how, how we've always started um, and, and something that I've always found really important and is something that my parents um, you know, certainly led by example for me is that if if you take care of those around you and you create meaningful you know shared relationships on things and that are built on honesty and mutual benefit um, that you know, if we take care of each other, that uh, tends to smoothen things out. Um, and and we've we've had many open anonymous conversations when we do this with a number of our partners about you know here's what success looks like for us, um, and we want to really understand what success looks like for you so that we can make sure that those are well aligned. Um, and I think just having that kind of dedication to finding the mutual win. Um, you know, it certainly is one of those things where we probably could have grown bigger faster if we had taken a little more narrow, um, sort or at least sort of more focused approach on um, how we did things. But I think the strength of our partnership and, and building that you know sh- strongly over many years, um, I, I think has really led to a lot of our success. It took a while, but because um, I mean, yeah, we we found it about six years ago, but it's really really things that have, have taken off and, and really come together in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so in so it took it took a while to <laughs> kind of lay the the groundwork for those pieces, but but right. now I think we're we have a really good network.
0: Wow. Yeah. And that, you know, three years to sort of get rolling is not that unusual for a startup. But uh you know, you have to be able to to navigate that and to Obviously, have the funding to be able to do that. So yeah, and, and that and yeah, I mean, you touch on yeah.
1: something there. That was uh, you know something we I mean we we've been doing this as a you know, weekend and evening uh, uh, passion project for I mean, sort of the first three years. I mean, we we had that work with the uh, climate resilience toolkit, uh, that was really helpful uh, early on. And, uh, you know, in a few other projects, I actually was uh, also moonlighting or I guess sort of daylighting as uh, a technical patent analyst. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was a re- resident video game expert at a uh, <laughs> patent analysis. Uh, oh,
0: wow. Yeah, was, I saw that. Uh, I, I really did
1: tough s- gig. <laughs> yeah, I did some
0: research and I saw that pop up and I thought, oh, yeah, that's not the same Jeff Hicks. So, uh,
1: <laughs> no, that is the same uh, Jeff that Hicks. It was a, an odd uh, journey, but yeah.
0: Oh, well, wow. well, tell us uh, what you what your company actually does because for people who are not in software or even the climate world, I mean what I saw is the word are the words resilience decision yep. support solutions so is what does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question, and this is something where you know again um, i I think my next business we're gonna you know buy paint and sell it because um, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, you can imagine, I think none of my family fully understands what I do. Um, but yeah, we, we sit in a really interesting intersection. Um, as, as folks are aware, I mean, whether or not you believe that the climate is changing, the fact is, is that we are ill-prepared to deal with the challenges that we already see.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the fact is, is that I, you know, I think if we ask folks, are we ready for another Katrina or another Sandy or another Matthew, I think the answer is universally, probably not. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that we have yet to meet any local government or you know, state government or, or, or even nation who has unlimited resources to deal with the challenges that we face. And we have to recognize as well that, you know, the, the kind of climate related threats like hurricanes or uh, wildfire or flooding are only one piece of the overall risk portfolio that we have to deal with. And that's especially true Um, currently. So what we do is we help uh, specifically local governments, but but we're also seeing some adjacent uh, groups ask for this kind of help. Um, We're starting to do quite a bit more work with airports uh, in particular. Mm. But what we're seeing is uh, folks need help understanding what their true vulnerabilities and risks are. Um, And we take that uh, a very quantitative approach and helping folks understand Uh, what's truly at risk in terms of, you know, maybe number of critical facilities like hospitals and um, fire departments, uh, how many homes, how many businesses, how many people's jobs, um, you know, annual tax revenue, and, and help them understand what the cost of inaction is. And by taking that approach and then helping people understand what kinds of things they can do about it, that helps them target that action very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, as at the center of the U.S. Climate Resilience Toolkit is a, a risk assessment process or, or sort of a, an overall resilience building process called the Steps to Resilience. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we, we certainly worked on that, but really our, our core practice is on helping local governments work through that process. And we have a software product called Adapt that um, helps us do those kinds of uh, risk-based decision uh, analyses in a very rapid, affordable, um, and repeatable way. Uh, One of the challenges that we ran into with, uh, we did a project with West Palm Beach, and they've been amazing to work with and have sort of agreed to be one of our kind of lighthouse case studies. But when we started working with them, they already had $2 billion worth of new development approved. And so, if we were to do a traditional sort of risk assessment, by the time we handed them a report, it'd probably be out of date. So, right. we developed the the software tool that, as cities continually evolve, um, so too can their risk assessments. Mm. So, I, I know I, I typically like unload a, a armful of bowling balls at folks. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm. It makes me wonder if. Um, are you in as a company really in a position of trying to help people understand that they have a problem or do you generally find that your clients recognize, Oh yeah, we have a problem. We're looking for a solution because having the two prong thing always makes things more challenging. Yeah.
1: Well, what, what we have found, um, almost universally is in, in a lot of the folks that we're working with are, they know they have a problem. Um, you know, they're finding, uh, I mean, we, we did a project with the city of Charleston, uh, South Carolina, for example, and they're routinely having streets that are closing due to flooding on sunny days. You know, it doesn't have to be banging, Um, and they'll see that streets are getting flooded and they're spending so much time sending out, uh, you know, emergency responders, like their fire department to block off roads um, that they're sort of saying, okay, well, you know, what's happening and, and what can we do about it? And the challenge that we see is, you know, as, we're, as, as humans, we are fundamentally not great at understanding sort of probabilities or probabilistic thinking. We're also um, oftentimes have sort of an uh, interesting way that we interpret risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we find is that by taking a step back and sort of in a facilitated process, we help folks understand what really their sort of first, second and third challenges are going to be. I'll give you a, a, another for instance. Um, when we started working with uh, West Palm Beach again, um, and I tell the story to folks because it was, it was particularly powerful. Um, they had recently done a, a, a penny sales tax and a, a bond raise. Uh, and they're they looking at spending some, some pretty big dollars on infrastructure improvements. And the challenge was is that given that they're in South Florida, I mean, you know, like like most communities in South Florida, they were very concerned about sea level rise and um, the kinds of coastal inundation hazards that that they may face. Right. But what we found was once we actually quantified that, um, by far, far and away, their biggest challenge is these extreme rainfall events that's overloading their stormwater system. Hmm. And that can, that's, anywhere, right? that can happen anywhere. That can happen anywhere. The reason that that's important is that as they're thinking about spending hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, their seawalls might, you know, not be the the biggest concern for you know the next fifty years. As thinking about how they adapt their stormwater system, which is already causing substantial issues. Um, so that's that's sort of an example of the kinds of things where folks may intuitively think, okay, you know this is the big issue that we need to be addressing. But when we really look at the numbers and, and help folks understand not only what are their challenges, but also where one of the other issues that we see frequently happen is that there can be underrepresented communities within a, a city. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, the, the squeaky wheel of course gets, gets the grease, mm-hmm. but in a lot of cases um, we see uh, infrastructure projects being prioritized in areas that are, uh, you know, not fully representative of the diversity of a city. Um, And so helping folks understand where they may have, um, uh, you know, lower income communities uh, across the city uh, that need additional help, um, they can help target their resources uh, much more equitably.
0: Right. Yeah. I was surprised to see that socioeconomic data figure into uh, Excel, adapt and, and the way that you, View the data; it incorporates that as well. So that answers the question I was going to ask you about what role does that play?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's really important as we think about uh, risk. You know, it's it's easy to sort of boil it down to just the dollars and cents. Um, You know, but I think ultimately, as as we think about what the mandate of local governments are, is usually to promote the the prosperity and safety of its people. And of course, it's not to say that, you know, there aren't important considerations in terms of tax base, you know, to protect um, higher value properties, of course, that drives a lot of the resources. So there's a balance there. But what we also find is that if we take a completely reductionist dollar based approach, that then uh, some of the, um, you know, again, very important parts of the tapestry of our community um, can oftentimes get under underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, by by bringing in that variety of lenses um, that folks can look through, that can help them take uh, action that's much more uh, consistent with the values um, that we have as a community.
0: Yeah. Well, with all of that kind of in mind, as uh, now that we've learned more about what you do, let's talk about the impact that your company has, as in terms of how does it affect clients and customers how does how does it affect the community and, and even the larger world how do you see your company having impact
1: yeah and that's something we think about a lot because you know especially coming out of a university research center and i mean you know we're we're a little funny i mean we're, we're very values oriented um i mean you know we, we of course i mean sometimes you, you hear the Phrase um, and, and Matt Pearsall here in Nashville has said it many times, which is, you know, doing, doing well by doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, the entire team is dedicated to the idea of protecting property and saving lives um, using the best available information. And, you know, so when we, when we think about those kind of impacts, um, we are routinely trying to quantify those um, in terms of reduced emergency response time um, or helping to see, you know, when we, when, at the end of a project, we will have come up with, um, you know, jointly with the folks that we work with, over 100 different projects and actions and strategies that are things that, that can get going right away. And we've seen that routinely where folks then start to kind of change how they do business as usual. I mean, we've, we've worked with communities where they now are, are inserting understanding resilience in, in terms of the consequences um, of their actions and what kinds of impacts the, the changing uh, conditions may have on their specific projects. We're starting to see that where, you know, folks are putting in requirements in their capital improvements workflow to say, you know, okay, we, we want to... Uh, consider the stormwater project but will this have the maximum benefit for as many people in our city as possible mm. and and that kind of thing it sounds sort of obvious right like that's how we need to be thinking about things but but in a lot of cases there are that isn't how it's being done right um and and so we're starting to see that now and and you know as we talked about sort of our our overall arc of things I mean, we're, we're seeing incredible ways that, that folks are starting to connect within local government that can typically be very siloed. We're seeing a lot more motion um, in terms of, of folks working together and, and understanding that that different departments have, have unique pieces of the puzzle that they need to bring to bear. But we're we're also just now starting to see projects getting implemented um, that have been uh, you know recommendations out of out of you know, our overall workflow, um, and, and it will be interesting to see. I mean, the, the challenge that we run into, especially when we think about resilience, is the idea is that you know, we want to put things in place before an event happens so that we can bounce back faster. Right. The challenge there is that to fully understand the impact that some of these projects may take um, would require them to experience that kind of event again. And that's certainly something that we very much hope never happens to uh, the folks that we've worked with. But oftentimes, you know, I think that's an inevitability. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, your company started serving regional customers primarily, although you got involved in the U S climate resilience toolkit early on, but, um, having a sustainable company likely is going to require expanding into other markets nationally. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, because I, I that was my understanding is that you're more in the Southeast, but wonder how you're have navigated or are planning to navigate that expansion because it's not always easy to go out of your region. It's a great place to start, but how do you move beyond that?
1: Absolutely. So um, as we talked about earlier in terms of the, you know, sort of the the partnership and, and the successes of of finding those those win wins. One of the things that we're actively kind of it's sort of sort of I, so here's here's the here's <laughs> the 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 master plan um, is that <laughs> basically you know we have been building a track record working directly with with local governments and and we love those uh, connections but we recognize that there's only so much that we can do from Asheville, um, especially as we see our growing customer base in Florida, for example. But, you know, it's never been our intent that we would displace those local experts um, who are integral to those communities and work daily with, um, with those, those decision makers who need help. Hmm. So we have been very intentional about cultivating partnerships with, companies, consultants, and experts in key areas um, more to sort of support them to to bring Acceladapt in as another arrow in their quiver Um, and not necessarily to try and have direct uh, customer relationships with every jurisdiction in the U.S., for example, but rather to partner with uh, a variety of firms that are aligned with our values um, and help them be successful in uh, helping their customers, um, move forward. Yeah. It's a great approach. We think so. And we'll (laughs) (laughs) stay tuned. Um, you know, but it's been working great so far. We're we're finding that, um, you know, with, with any of these kinds of things, there's, there's usually, uh, you know, we, we've seen this arc with a number of companies that we've worked with where, there's usually a start, which is, well, wait, we can do what you guys can do, and it's like, well, we certainly could, but here's the value that that we feel we're strongest in. Here's where we think you all have much more value to offer to a client than we do, mm-hmm. um, and and it just takes a few projects to get to know each other, um, and then you know, again, kind of, you know, follow through on on promises and, and expectations. Um, and then, you know, build that kind of muscle memory of working together um, and also figure out, you know, is this a good relationship? We've, we've found in several cases that it, it wasn't a great relationship and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but what we're finding is that some of these firms that we work with, you know, may have that national presence. They may have, you know, a hundred offices across the United States and they're plugged into, you know, thousands of communities Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are, those are ways that then if we get that relationship with them, you know, but it's, it's still, we're we're still sort of, uh, you know, midway through that, that plan unfolding, but so far it's looking, uh, it's looking very effective.
0: Yeah. And I mean, your work lends itself to partnering um, so well. So it's great that you have this attitude of collaboration where, yeah, we can do this part well, and, and you can do that part well, rather than. Trying to be everything to everybody,
1: or or
0: getting yeah. into hyper competitive mindset around it.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, you know, the the problem of climate resilience is one that um, I, I don't I don't think any one of us has all of the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of my mentors and business partners, Jim Fox, um, he he always says that uh, you know none of us is as smart as all of us.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'd love to delve into a little bit about how you see leadership and um, wondered, how, how would you define impactful leadership? What does that look like for you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, one of the opportunities that, that we've had um, building this up, or, or I guess it's sort of out of necessity, was having to think about you know, how, how do we manage a growing team and growing uh, you know, not only, you know, growing the company in terms of, of number of people, but how do we get really good at what each of us does? Um, but then recognizing how do, you know, we certainly all grow as leaders and look at, at, you know, that next tier or that next level of of folks as we continue to grow. So we've really taken a, a, you know, out of the entrepreneurial operating systems or the, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that rocket fuel was a really um, helpful book for us. And then Mm -hmm. just looking at traction and how that all kind of fits together, but there's a really interesting sort of progression of thinking about, um, you know, how do we empower folks to delegate and elevate as their job becomes a little too much to manage. Um, And we've set that as a, as a culture Throughout everything is is really um, getting good at documenting you know, what we do and how we do it, and find ways of every time that we do something, are we either improving how we do it, or are we training? You know, kind of a, a, a next person who's going to take the you know torch um, on how to do what we do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so as as we sort of think about you know we we kind of have that as as our as our operation, but then. Um, I think as well, the, the idea that um, each of us you know, thinking about what our distilled value is, like wh- what is it that I can bring to the table that I, I think is, is the highest value to bring to the table and, and encouraging folks to recognize that each one of us has something yeah. um, to, to bring to the table. And, and a lot of that comes... You know down to just trying to set set a culture where it's it's look we we all really much care about each other and I mean so in some of these cases it I have some some uh, peer mentors who are sort of like, you know all this hippie stuff that you guys do <laughs> I don't get it but but I think as we think about you know resilience as as our business, we also have to think about resilience in our organization, which is fundamentally going to boil down to the resilience of our people um, and making sure that that we have um you know, strong support networks set up, and then that people are 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 set up to thrive, and that they're, you know, if we identify barriers to success, that we immediately address them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I don't know if there's a sort of distilled <laughs> leadership yeah. thesis in there, but no. that's
0: sort of <laughs> I mean that that's that's of absolute value, and I think sometimes, especially in uh, you know more technically oriented companies, there's a tendency, I think, from a place of discomfort or a lack of skills around how you do it. Uh, this whole, you know, creating a culture that's nurturing and, and uh, connecting and therefore provides people with a space where they can do their best work. It can sometimes get pushed away because the leaders don't know what to do or they just feel uncomfortable with the whole thing. So um, I, I think it's great that your uh, approach is very relational. And that, of course, helps in creating that kind of culture. So how would you describe the culture, at Fernleaf? You talked about delegate and elevate. That's more of a management style. But right, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we do have a, a strong culture of performance um, that, that's really rooted from how do I do what I do better? Um, I, I realized at some point that's that's what has kind of drawn us to each other. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's really funny because, you know, we, we're not, we're not sort of like, it's not like competitive, um, which is interesting. It, it's a very supportive kind of thing. It's like, hey, I want to share with you a, a thought on how I've learned to use this tool um, in this really cool way. And it's like, cool, let's, let's have like a little lunch and learn about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, so a lot of this is really focused on, you know, we, we all want to be there's always uh, you know strokes we can take off of our, our golf game and really you know how do we help each other out on, on doing that um, we're also sort of a, a work hard play hard <laughs> kind of group um, right. you know it can be you come into our office and it's either uproarious laughter or just silence except for the typing that you're hearing <laughs> um, you know we all we all kind of get really focused on things, but you know at the same time we also recognize that in a lot of cases our work kind of comes in in. You know, there can be really intense times where we work really hard, but we also recognize like, look, we have to take time off to you know, take care of our families and ourselves um, in between uh, those kind of uh, crazy times. So, you know, and there's a lot of aspects that, um, you know, I think as as we kind of take a step back, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what what we're trying to do is if folks can every day go home and say, you know what, I rocked it today. Then, then we know they've gotten in the exact right seat on the bus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we find those people who are, we want, you know, the, that are right to be on the bus um, at the right time too. I mean, we've, you know, I've, I've had unsuccessful starts where it was just a little too early where, you know, start working with somebody who's incredible, but it's like, you know, I just don't, I don't have that seat ready for you yet. Um, and that's been a really painful set of lessons learned, but I think as, as we kind of cultivate and and help folks get comfortable with the idea that, um, no, I mean, you know, we want to know, I mean, there's, there's a a level of radical candor as well that, Hmm. you know, if somebody sees something, I I tell people all the time, please do not cheer me off of a cliff. Um, like if you see me doing something stupid, like just let me know. Yeah. And at the same time, like we're going to let each other know that because we do care about each other and we want each other to succeed um, so i again, I don't know if that's a, a distilled <laughs> yeah. thesis on uh, culture either
0: <laughs> well and it's always an ongoing conversation, and we're we're just hearing about elements of what you're doing, which is really valuable for other people to hear and and it's part of your story as your company
1: that's great so, I hope so and and folks are always welcome to. We can have a virtual coffee date and I will enumerate all of the mistakes that I made <laughs> on the way and happy to, as I've benefited heavily from, uh, you know, mentors such as yourself who, who really helped me put some better guardrails off. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: it's, I think that's valuable for everybody to kind of look at both having mentors and kind of consciously cultivating an approach, whether it's leadership or culture being able to look at what you could do and making choices about it rather than letting it happen,
1: Mm, which can often
0: happen when you get into the operational day-to-day. And I I think in, I mean, we can't leave this conversation without talking about great times of great change. And that's where those things can, taking a conscious approach can really play a big role. But how are you navigating with all the, Changes associated with the coronavirus pandemic and uh, yeah. the, the changes that are go along with that
1: yeah absolutely i mean we we are in a very fortunate position i mean I, I think on on the front side of our business, it can be completely maddening the sales cycle um, it, it can oftentimes be a year or more from initial contact to Getting a first, you know, payment. Mm-hmm. Um, now the advantage, though, is that typically when we do have a project, um, it, it can be for a year or more. Um, and so, in many ways, the die for 2020 was cast in 2019 for us. Um, and so, we're we're very fortunate that um, you know a lot of our, our projects are, are continuing. Um, I mean, there are some delays that we are seeing in terms of new projects starting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're having to learn of ways of working with our clients and partners uh, virtually that we might have done otherwise in, in person. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to build, maintain that culture and, and our, our personal connections with the team virtually. Um, just before we hopped on, I had a we had a virtual coffee meeting with the whole team, and um, you know, the folks could just sort of share uh, humorous things that are happening in our new reality. Um, you know, I mean, just my, my heart really goes out to folks who are, um, you know, we, we recognize how, how blessed we are with our current situation. Um, and, and we are not taking that for granted at all. Um, in uh, you know, I think as we think about the resilience of our own organization, um, we're taking in some of these cases where things are getting delayed and there's a little bit of slowdown, we're taking that as an opportunity to invest back in ourselves, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in terms of our own team's professional development or improving our processes. So we know that, I mean, I I tell people we're unfortunately in a growth industry in terms of sort of helping folks deal with the changing climate. Um, I know that the needs are going to continue just as the needs are going to continue with, with folks and other other businesses, um, I just I really hope that that um, as many people as possible can come out of this as successfully as possible, um, and and we just recognize how fortunate we are um, to to have comparatively limited effects um, at this point.
0: Mm. Well, my my last question before we go to the rapid round is: Do yeah. you see a do you see a role for Fernleaf? in this mm-hmm. pandemic, in the, in the issues that we're facing, I know you had done a Zika zone USA mapping Zika virus. So do you see a, a way for Fernleaf to contribute
1: in, in this situation? Yeah, we've been thinking about that. Um, you know, even though our focus has really been more climate system kinds of pieces mm-hmm. and, and it's you know, hard to know if, if there are climate system parts as we are thinking about how do we, are there parts of our tooling that that could be used to help? And um, for example, one of our uh, projects, they they don't the the local government doesn't even really know kind of where where their small businesses are that right. might be affected. Hmm. Um, and so we're helping them. We have some great data on that um, that we can help them understand. I think the other thing that we're really thinking about is you know even though we we may not have some, some kind of direct help that we have right now, uh, for the C-19 the, the challenges is that, you know, all indications are that, that, or at least the last I read is that right about when we're going to be coming out of this, we're going to be going straight into hurricane season. Mm -hmm. Um, and as we think about then folks that are already, um, sort of in a, in a challenging situation, I think there are going to be some stimulus kind of programs that are going to come out of this. Um, I think there's a really interesting opportunity right now with um, helping to put people back to work to shore up affordable housing. Um, and I think, you know, where we want to help is, you know, let's, let's help folks understand, you know, this is a great opportunity right now to make investments so that when we do come around to hurricane season, that then we, we didn't in our rush to kind of put people back to work, not have them work on some of the best things possible. Um, and then, and then cause additional issues for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're kind of thinking about it in terms of a portfolio.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you, are you game?
1: I will do my best to keep my answers rapid. I realize like I, <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be sort of a, <laughs> the, the, the broadcasting station. So I'll, I will keep I will these as possible.
0: <laughs> it's all good. So our, our first question is
1: what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Uh, that it doesn't oftentimes it's not often, obvious um, that mm. it, it can oftentimes take a while for you to fully understand the impact that you had. Mm. Oh, that's interesting.
0: No one's ever said that before. And it's oh, intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the second question is what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think recognizing that um, there are people around me who are much smarter than I am, which is pretty easy for me to figure that out. Um, and and oftentimes, um, you know, I I certainly benefit from the expertise of those around me, but I also realize that there's a tremendous amount of impact that one can have by just reaching out and asking someone for help, um, mm. and uh, I I think that has created a, a lot of really interesting positive impacts um, just just in the act of of asking for help.
0: Mm, absolutely. And the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I positively affect things? How can I contribute, have an impact?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times this this comes down to just being authentic with with yourself. Um, If you can understand yourself reasonably well, um, that can help you modulate what kinds of things may occur to you. Um, in a way that um, you know can 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 have really positive impact. So I, I would start with um, getting getting your own internal uh, sort of house, uh, if not entirely in order, which is a <laughs> continual uh, project. Absolutely. Um, but to at least know sort of here's how I react or, or respond in these kinds of situations. To know that. Um, I have found has had an enormous uh, impact on those around me. Mm. Mm,
0: that's great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. I so appreciate your very thoughtful approach in the way that you've created your company and really to be focusing on the relational so much in terms of your clients and customers and your team I think is is fairly unusual in a in a tech environment and it's so valuable for any company so thank you for sharing all of those aspects of your own journey with us
1: yeah well thank you for your time and uh I hope I hope any of this was was valuable for the for the listeners and certainly yeah. it was uh enjoyable to to get to know you especially a little before the uh, this got going and stuff and so uh, I really appreciate what you're doing here and um, I, I think, you know, each of us has a little piece of the puzzle and uh, you never know what, what kind of insight you might stumble across or, or something you might throw out there that, that might be just what somebody needs to hear. So I appreciate mm-hmm. the opportunity because I've benefited from uh, other opportunities uh, that other, other folks had put their thoughts out there. So thank you for, yeah. the, for, the, for the opportunity.
0: Yeah you're very welcome and I uh, I've enjoyed talking with you as well and and getting to know you and also I know that this is going to be valuable for people. So Wonderful. if they want if they want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Yeah probably as uh, email is um, is good. I I will preemptively apologize for any kind of latency. Um there's <laughs> you might imagine we we're tackling a bit of complexity especially now but sure um, I'm always up for, for uh, chatting with folks. And, and again, I, I'd i love to hear other people's stories of, of their journey. And if there's anything mm-hmm. I can do to sort of help other folks, you know, always happy to do it.
0: Okay, great. And tell us what your email address is.
1: Yeah. You can reach me at Jeff at dot com.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real pleasure and it's uh <laughs> it's, seems like a dream sometimes that we're making it work. So I'm um, really, really proud of what we've accomplished and, and really humbled to, to do it.
0: Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.